week I started a series on one of the concepts that Paul highlights as he closes his letter to the church at Philippi. And the focus is going to be basically for a number of weeks on Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is any praise, anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in us, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul makes a connection between the things we think about and the God of peace and his peace being with us. So much of the peace that God wants to overflow in our lives, so much of the comfort the Lord wants to be a stabilizing force in all of us begins with our thought life and what we ponder. Now, last week, we talked about whatever is true. And I mentioned we have tremendous amounts of information in our world today, but not a lot of truth. So many people seeking knowledge and believing that if they can acquire enough information and acquire enough knowledge, they will be able to land at the place of truth. But scripture is clear that knowledge is not about just the acquisition of information. Knowledge begins with a relationship. Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 7, we read last week, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, not the acquisition of Google. That's how we get knowledge. Now, I use all kinds of search engines. I do research. I want to learn things. But they've got to be within the context of my relationship with the Lord. First, understanding that he is God and I am not. Our pursuit of wisdom is a good thing. Gathering and researching information is also a good thing. But all of this must start with having a deep and close relationship with the only one who can lead us into all truth. And how many know his name is Jesus? So today, we go to whatever things are noble. In other translations, it'll read whatever is honorable. The concepts of being noble and honorable are not new ones, yet they do seem at times to some to be antiquated. But how many know we could use a little bit more nobility and honor in our world today? We as a society seem to focus all of our attention, all of our times on that which is not honorable. Scandals seem to dominate our newscasts. The unthinkable is what gets the most likes or trends on social media. That which is shocking, that especially shocking in a negative way, 
seems to dominate and permeate all that looks to get our attention. And this is what the world offers us today. This is what the world wants you and I to think about and to ponder. Is it any wonder there are people out there who are depressed? Is it any wonder that our world is filled with so many who are having issues with anxiety? Is it any wonder that there are literally people frightened about what tomorrow may bring? It can be tough to maintain a positive outlook when all you're doing is wondering, gee, I wonder what's going to come next. What will happen tomorrow? Now, I will never advocate sticking our heads in the sand. We need to be a people who understand what is happening in our world and the relevance it has around us. I am not suggesting that we ignore the realities of what goes on around us in our communities and in our culture. But regardless of what the evening news says, what they report is not the only thing to think about. There are other things that I can place in my head and focus on them. There are always good things to think about. There are always good people to think about. There are always godly things to think about. And these things are those things that are filled with being noble and honor. Now, the Greek word there for being noble or honor literally means that which is worthy of respect and dignity. Respect and dignity. We could sure use more of both of those today. These concepts seem to be in short supply these days. You see, Paul knew that our thoughts determine our attitudes. Our thoughts determine how we look and perceive other people. Our focus and focusing our thoughts on those things which are worthy of respect, worthy of dignity, worthy of honor. Thing is, the determination of what is worthy of respect can't be only what I feel. You see, that which is worthy of respect doesn't change with the times. There is way too much out there in our culture today that is not honorable. Many concepts in our culture today, I'm sorry, the concepts themselves are not worthy of respect. Many philosophies that our culture is trying to push and our society is trying to make the standard, they're not worthy of dignity. Just because something is popular in the public square doesn't make it honorable. Just because something is what everybody else is rushing to and what everybody else seems to be embracing doesn't make it worthy of respect. Just because something is popular in the favorite circle or what they often say today, your favorite tribe to be a part of. Just because everybody around you likes it doesn't make it honorable. Even if that tribe that circle is the church. I figured it would get quieter right, right now. <laughs> to be worthy of honor, to be worthy of dignity, it must be honorable according to the word of God. And the word of God is our only standard. When it comes to life, 
What does the word of God have to say when it comes to marriage? What does the word of God have to say when it comes to justice? What does the word of God have to say when it comes to how we treat people? What does the word of God have to say? When it comes to how we treat people who offend us, what does the word of God have to say? The ideas and philosophies someone embraces may not be worthy of honor and respect. But here comes the tough part. Even if the philosophies and mindset and thinking that someone embraces is not worthy of honor, The people are, because they're people. They're people made in the image of God. If I'm going to lead a life and focus my thought life on that which is honorable and noble, that is going to involve being someone who gives that respect and honor to others. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 43. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do you even, the tax collectors do the same? No one here is in the tax business, right? I don't want to offend anybody. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, even as your father is perfect. You see, when it comes to this issue of being able to think on things that are honorable and think on things that are noble, it's not just about thinking on things that make me feel good. It's not just about thinking on things that make me feel better. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I am to love my enemies. Loving my enemies is difficult to do when I'm not engaging them. If I only engage those I like, if I only engage those that believe the same way I do, if I only engage those who are going to make me feel better, Jesus said, even the sinners do that. And remember this chapter, chapter 5, begins the greatest sermon that was ever told when Jesus describes the various things that bring blessings. Now, some get around this. Because I know I'm talking to a group of people today that none of you have ever been hurt. None of you have ever been betrayed. None of you have ever been disappointed or let down by someone else. So this is information I'm giving you so you can help somebody else someday. And what a lot of people will do, especially Christians, when they get to this point and they've been hurt by someone or been let down by someone or been betrayed by someone. And they read this passage, they'll say, well, it doesn't apply to me because I don't have any enemies. I've forgiven them and I've moved on. There's nothing in my heart. 
I have no enemies. Let's dig deeper into this. The word there for enemy literally means adversary. And digging into its definition in the original language, it's someone who has done something in the flesh that would be in the flesh worthy of retaliation. It doesn't say forget about them. It doesn't say move on for them. It says we are to love them. Now, there is a balance here. If the person is not in your life any longer, nowhere in Scripture does it say to chase them down and, or, or hunt them down. But we can pray that God truly blesses somebody who has hurt us. That is honorable. We can pray that God will in, embrace them and fill their lives with his love for someone who has betrayed us. That is honorable. We can pray that good things happen to them. That is honorable. We can pray like the Psalm 23, that goodness and mercy will follow them all the days of their lives. That is honorable. This type of thinking is noble. This type of thinking is honorable. Thinking and sitting at home and wondering about those people who've hurt us and hoping they fall down and just break every bone in their body, that is not honorable. Now, again, I know none of you have ever thought that way because none of you have ever been hurt or let down. So many ideas and so many principles today that even we as God's people tend to embrace are not honorable, and then we wonder why we don't have his peace. Principles are, many principles are not honorable. Many philosophies and mindsets are not honorable. But people are. And in the context of Matthew 5, honor is not something we trade. Well, if you honor me, I'll honor you. If you respect me, I'll respect you. This is not a bargaining session or a negotiation. It's something you give freely. I posted on social media yesterday that I officiated a wedding um, yesterday. A wonderful couple I've been working with for a number of months and I pray God just anoints and blesses their life. And in the counseling that I provide for any couple that I'm going to officiate the ceremony, I introduce to them this concept called covenant marriage. And for the most part, most of the couples that I work with, it's not a concept they've heard before. You see, for, the, for many in our culture today, marriage is not a covenant. It's a contract. It's, it's a legal agreement. And if you really look at it deeply, a contract is an agreement between two people who don't trust each other. Hence, you have the contract. It's an awful way to look at marriage. A contract is an if-then condition. If you do this, I will provide then this service. If you pay this fee, I will provide this warranty. It's an if-then conditional type of relationship. It's not a covenant. A covenant is what God established with Israel, that I'm going to be your God no matter what you do, 
No matter how many times you walk away, no matter how many times you disobey, I will be your God. That's a covenant. And for months I worked with this couple to kind of drill into them that you're entering into a covenant that says, I'm going to be here no matter what you become later in life. And just like you are now, they sat there looking at me real quietly. (laughs) Because then in the natural, what happens? What is the first thing that comes up? But what if? But this is not a contract. But what if? This is not a contract. This is a covenant. That's why you need to be real careful who you make covenants with. Hence, why when they contacted me early in the fall, it was good for them that they didn't say, can you marry us this weekend? Because that would have been a no. We need to sit down and talk about what you're doing. Because my perspective is I offered them no assistance and no help on the wedding arrangements, on the reception. They can take care of that. My only focus was on the marriage. And that they would establish a covenant with each other. Because covenants are honorable. I basically told each of them they need to be able to stand and look at each other with love and devotion and say in the most even intimate way, you're stuck with me. If you leave me, I'm going with you. That's a covenant. How many times do we read in the various parts of the Old Testament where Israel didn't do what God wanted them to do? And how many times did God stop being their God? None. Because God established a covenant and him keeping that covenant was not dependent upon what Israel did. Now that seems real difficult in the flesh. That's why you can't keep covenants without a relationship with Almighty God. Hopefully they got it. If there's anything I learned, is that you need to give respect freely. If you wait till you get it to give it, you're going to have an unbalanced life. If there's anything I learned... In 15 years of umpiring baseball, is that I need to respect first. No matter how amazingly passionate and unthinking and even off the wall the coach might be. And sometimes it wasn't the coach, sometimes it was the wonderful, loving, caring parents. I need to give respect no matter what comes back at me. That church is honorable. And the same is true in, in, in uh, refereeing 15 years of football. There were so many situations where I would referee a football game and one of the coaches really just lost control. 
<coughs> he couldn't keep his mouth shut. He even had people on the sidelines trying to help him keep his mouth shut, trying to drag him away, especially if I was nearby. Just couldn't do it. And I would just treat him with respect. And then a few weeks would go by, and how many realized that when things like that happen, you're going to see those people again? So I would go to a field for another game, and lo and behold, that same coach was there. And how would he greet me? So good to see you. How are you doing today? How's the family? Hmm. And inevitably, before the game started, he would come to me and say, you may remember the last time you did a game for me that I wasn't the kindest. Wasn't the kindest? You were an idiot, coach. Is any of that going to be an issue today? And I could always say with confidence, no. Because how you treat me is not dependent on how I treat you. Couldn't we use more of that in this world today? So much of how we treat one another is contractual. But we in God's house... Our model for how we treat others, it needs to be covenantal. After all, hasn't God been good to you? Hasn't God been awesome to you? Hasn't God been perfect to you? And what have we been to him? We've been us. That's what we've been. And yet he is still here. I respected every coach, every manager, and the tough part was every parent. Why? Because when the game was over, honestly, and some of it was selfish, I wanted the peace of God in my life. And the peace of God comes with keeping in my head things which are honorable. When these interactions have gone away, When I do it God's way, I can have peace. Now, how does this work out practically? Because we're bombarded with all kinds of images, all kinds of thoughts. I was looking at something that Tony Evans wrote recently, and he basically said, if what you're thinking is not something you can give God praise for, then... Inevitably, it's going to attack your peace. That was so good. If what we're dwelling upon, if what we're giving time to is something that is not a thing I can shout praises to God for, I'll be perfectly honest and perfectly transparent. There were times in the two weeks or so following Christmas where I was sitting on my living room couch and I was thinking about how awful I felt. I was dwelling upon something I could not give God praise for. But when I began to think about all the people who were praying for me and all the people who were sending me all kinds of messages about how much they cared about me and loved, that was something to dwell upon and something to give God praise for. And even in the midst of not feeling well, I could have God's peace. And even though we want to be in perfect health, And perfect strength. How many know how valuable it is to be in perfect peace? 
to be in perfect peace. I need to treat others the way God treats me, whether they deserve it or not. Ours is a day of choosing sides and deciding who is the opposition. And when I've determined you're the opposition, that means you get treated a different way than who's not the opposition. Ours is a day of choosing whom I will respect and whom I won't respect. And sadly, this nonsense has seeped into the church. There are those who will say, if you follow a certain philosophy or think a certain way or embrace a certain mindset, you can't be a Christian. If you follow a certain idea, you're not a believer in Christ. Gee, the last time I looked, the only one who had the right to determine whether or not I was saved or not was Jesus himself, who saved me himself. And my only comment to all that banter is has any of that brought anybody peace? No, it just gets everybody upset and agitated. Anybody, is anybody getting peace that Paul mentioned in Philippians 4.9? So church, whatever is honorable, when I look at all of, at, at all of you, I, I can see many things that are honorable. Those who dedicate their lives to Christ, those who love others selflessly. Think about all the people who God has brought into your life who have blessed you. Think about all the people that God has brought throughout all the years to minister his word and his power. Think on these things. And even when many of these people reach the end of their earthly journey, as we said goodbye to someone this past week, we remember and celebrate the impact the indelible, unremovable impact they have on our lives. And we think on these things which are honorable. When I always think of Sister Ruth, I will think of an honorable woman, a mighty woman of God who even as physical infirmities began to mount, she gave God praise. She gave God glory, no matter what. And her infirmities were a whole lot more lasting than my having COVID for a few days on a living room couch. Whatever is noble, whatever is honorable, think on these things. And not just as a matter of some abstract thought, but Paul says the reason we're to think on these things in verse 9, of chapter 4, so that the God of peace will be with you. Anyone could use some peace today. The weather forecast is saying all kinds of things for later today or for tomorrow. I heard one report that said 30 mile an hour winds. I heard one report that said 60 mile an hour winds. I'm waiting for someone to tell me it's going to be 800 mile an hour winds. So since they can't seem to make up their mind how fast the winds will be, you know what? I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm going to dwell on the fact that no matter how 
fierce the wind blows. My God is strong. My God is able. And he is good. Is your God good? Is your God being good to you? This, has he sustained you? Then church, whatever is honorable, think on these things. Let's stand, please.